seated. Well, I hope I haven't forgotten how to do this. It's been about four months since I've preached, so I guess I've had enough practice. It'll probably be all right. Well, if that uh, outline looks familiar to you, some of you maybe, this is a sermon. It's my favorite sermon of all time that I've ever done. And uh, a friend of mine, the last time I did it at Faith Chapel, a friend of mine said, you ought to preach that sermon once a year. So I'm preaching it every four or five years, so I guess that's close enough. I want to talk about your mom today. (laughs) These things that I'm going to share probably are not unique to me. In fact, every time I do this sermon any place, people inevitably come up and say, That sounds just like my mom. So moms are kind of a mixed bag, aren't they? They're they're wonderful in most cases. But there's also the good, the bad, and the ugly involved someplace along the line. Did your mom ever slap you? Probably. My mom slapped me. Uh, We love them. uh, Soldiers, when they're dying, guess what they say? Mom. Mom. It's interesting, isn't it? Then we have mothers-in-law. They can be interesting. I was fortunate I had a mother-in-law that I got along real well with, but sometimes. In fact, most often, it's the mother-in-law of the wife that brings the most trouble because mother-in-laws of the sons don't think anybody's good enough for their son. I don't know why that is. There's a unique relationship there somehow. And then for guys like me, mothers of the bride can be kind of challenging at times. They kind of want to run the wedding. So ten things my mama taught me but I bet you'll be able to relate to some of these. Now, the way I think about my mom was that she had these boundaries that she put in my life, and they were a little bit like a barbed wire fence. They kind of kept you in, and if you tested those boundaries, it was, it was painful but not deadly. But she definitely had these little barbs that she'd shoot my way. Most of the time, uninvited. Pull up your pants. Tuck in your shirt. Stand up straight. Get that attitude look off of your face. Any of those sound familiar? Well, here here are my ten favorite things that my mom taught me. Number ten, you better not get too big for your britches. Now, I realize that that's kind of Uh, generational your mom might not have said it exactly the same way britches but you understand the concept when my mom said you better not get too big for your britches I knew she wasn't worried about my my waist size she was worried about my hat size don't be proud don't get a big head Uh, Martin Luther said one of the greatest men who ever lived, he said, Lord, do not forsake me. If I am left alone, I will bring it all to ruin. 
that's humility. I, I you're gonna think poorly of me for this, buddy, but I, I like to watch MMA fights. And when when there's an MMA fight going on, a lot of the time, more than I'd like to see, one guy's getting cocky. I even saw one guy the other day who laid down and stood up real fast. And almost every time when somebody gets cocky like that, about 30 seconds after they get cocky, they're laying on their back. Pride does go before a fall. And I can bet that you recognize times in your life when that's happened. The, the greatest thing I can say about pride is that God opposes the proud. That's, that's a frightening thought. God opposes the proud. We don't want God to be against you. So have God confidence, not self-confidence. Number nine is don't forget to say your prayers. Now here's a good question for you to answer just to yourself. Who do you talk to first? If you're trying to make a decision, if you need to bounce something off of somebody, who do you talk to first? Do you talk to God first? Or do you talk to other people first? Most of us talk to other people first. Familiar you're saying is we don't have a prayer. What does that mean? We don't have a chance. Well, that says something about your belief about prayer, doesn't it? We don't, we don't think that way about prayer. One of the greatest pictures I have in my mind about prayer is a young man named Brian Carpenter worked for me at Faith Chapel. He was a youth pastor for a while. And his dad was a, he was a phenomenal man. Not well educated, kind of a homey kind of a guy. Walked with a, with a walking stick like you've got, Arnie. But when his dad died, you know how they found him? He was kneeling beside the bed, praying. Wow. Isn't that amazing? He was a prayer warrior. So when we think about prayer, these verses come to mind. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place when he prayed. I bet since Jesus prayed, I think we probably need to, too. And my favorite about this is, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If we needed to pray, we probably need to pray. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. May that be your prayer today. Lord, teach us to pray. No, it doesn't say how to pray, but to pray. Number eight, can you hear your mom saying this? Don't you ever think about anybody but yourself? Oh, man, that, that was a familiar one. What, what does that mean? Don't be selfish. We're born into this world. We're born totally focused on ourselves. I want something to eat. Change my diaper. You know, whatever it would be. I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. We're, we're self-centered egocentric and we must learn not to be that way we must learn not to be selfish now some of these might sound kind of negative to you my mom was kind of a negative person she was uh, she actually lived in a sod hut 
And that sounds so crazy to say nowadays. She actually lived in a sod hut when she was a girl. Her parents moved uh, to Oregon from Kansas. They were dirt poor. And they built a sod hut and lived it up, on, up on the agency plains, uh, plains outside of Madras, Oregon. She was uh, alive during the Depression, which deeply influenced how she thought about things. But uh, she was negative, but this sounds kind of negative. Don't, don't think about anybody but yourself. You could probably say that in a more positive way. Wendy Veach, who is my district supervisor's wife, she taught her kids, don't be a me monster. <laughs> I love that. Don't be a me monster. One of the ways that she taught that was when they stayed in a motel, they got up in the morning, she made the kids make the bed in the motel. Didn't want them to be a me monster, just to, just to think about themselves. One of, the, one of the funniest things about selfishness I'm I'm kind of a quirky person in some ways, I guess. But when I eat, especially when I eat like a sandwich and potato chips, I plan it out very carefully. So I take a bite of my sandwich and then I get a potato chip. That's just the way it's going to be. So one night, Ginger, Ginger and I were in this place and I was having a sandwich and I asked her when I ordered the sandwiches, do you want some potato chips? She said, no, thank you. She said, no, she didn't want any potato chips. So I take a bite, take a potato chip, take a bite, take a potato chip. So I'm down to my last bite and my last potato chip. And just as I'm taking my bite of sandwich, Ginger reaches over and she says, you don't mind. As a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> and then she laughs. She says, you're funny. I said, no, I'm selfish. Selfish. We all tend to be a little selfish at times. Don't you ever think about anybody but yourself. Think about others. That's a pretty good principle to live by. Number seven, can't you stay home just one night? Oh, man, my mom used to say that. And as I've thought about it, I don't think my mom was concerned about me staying home as much as she was who I was going to be with when I went out. The way you might think about it is love everyone, but only let certain people influence you. Don't let sinful people influence you. I don't know where I heard this, but somebody said, and I picked it up, nothing good happens after midnight. That's probably true, isn't it? Not very much good happens after midnight. So watch out who your friends are. Love everyone, but be careful who influences you. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Lots of other verses on that topic in the scriptures. Number six, you better keep your nose clean. Mom wasn't asking me if I had a handkerchief in my pocket. She was concerned that I would live in purity. My mom was concerned about purity so much that she, she didn't want me to dance. 
started talking about a dancing. And so rather than dancing, I'd go out in the, in the parking lot with my car and play kissy face with my girlfriend. That didn't work out real well for her. Kind of defeated the purpose. I had a pastor. Um, my parents didn't like him very well, but I liked him a lot. He was the pastor of our church when I was in high school. And I can't tell you how many times on Saturday night I'd be out doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing. and He would be walking on Main Street, up and down Main Street, helping people. He was trying to protect them, help them to stay pure, keep them from sinning. The idea of you better, better keep your nose clean is live a life of purity. My favorite example of this was uh, a friend of mine uh, and I and our wives went to Canada on vacation. And we golfed and then we went downtown to a ice cream shop. And somehow I got in line two or three people ahead of him. And so I ordered my ice cream, got a triple-decker ice cream. And... Uh, once I got my ice cream, I went and stood against a, a wall over the side of the room. And so he hadn't had his yet. He was still in line and other people coming in. This, this young woman came in, and she had on short shorts. Very attractive young woman. And so I was standing there eating my ice cream. And pretty soon the three-decker ice cream fell off, hit me here, and fell on the floor. I always thought God was probably going, <laughs> keep your eyes where they're supposed to be. Live a life of purity. And the number five thing that my mom taught me was you started it, you finish it. That had to do with if I was uh, mowing lawns for the summer, you quit halfway through the summer. You finished the job that you started. If you had a paper out, you didn't, you didn't quit. If you went out for a sport, or if you were playing a musical instrument, you didn't quit. You said you were going to do this. You signed up for a year, so you're going you're gonna to do this. It has to do with faithfulness, and that's one of the greatest lessons in life, is learning to be a faithful person. I used to coach pastors quite a bit, and one of the things that pastors would say is, it's, it's really hard here. And you know what my answer was? It's hard every place. <laughs> you, you think it's easy over there, easier over there than it is here? You know, I pastored a large church most of my adult life, and they pastor a small church. Hard pastor in a small church. You don't think it's hard pastoring a big church? It's hard every place. You don't get to quit. I love this phrase. Long-term obedience in the same direction. That's faithfulness. Long-term obedience in the same direction. Winston Churchill had a famous speech. He was at Cambridge University during the Second World War. And this is all he said in his speech. He, he got up and said this, and then he sat down and said, Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. He said it three times. 
you guys will like this one. Walter Payton gained nine miles as a running back. Nine miles. You know how he did that? He got knocked down and got up every 4.6 yards. You start it and you finish it. Number four, don't forget your offering. Um, th this was instilled in me since I was a little tiny boy. My mom would take a dime or a nickel and she'd put it in my hand before Sunday school and say, you put that in, you put that in the offering. I wouldn't have thought about keeping that for myself. It's God's money. When I was in high school, she this is you'll like this. She bought me a carton of cigarettes every week. And she gave me a tithe envelope every week for my allowance. So $5 a week and a carton of cigarettes. And I needed to tithe on that, that money that she gave me. The, the idea of giving is that you're better off with 90% than you are with 100% giving 10% to God. Most people don't believe that, but it's true. Um, some people say, well, the tithe isn't for today. Listen, the tithe was pre-law, it was before the law, Abraham tithed. It was law, given in the law, the Malachi's will lead them in. And it was post-law, after the law. Jesus affirmed tithing. Listen to these verses. The first one is Old Testament giving. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that place where you're fed, that there may be food in my house. Here's the only place where it says, test me in this. Test me in this. Try it, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. In other words, when we tithe, he protects us from the evil one, and he also says that he'll take care of us. He'll make provision for us. Then Jesus affirmed the tithe. Matthew 23, 23 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, bell, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. So they were tithing to the nth, but they were neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here's what Jesus said. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. He's affirming the tithe in that verse. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In other words, if you give a little, you get, get a little bit back. Give more, you get more. You reap more back. God provides for you. He's certain, certainly proven that in, in, uh, in my life. Number three is, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. 
mom drilled that into my head. I don't have anything nice to say. Don't say anything at all. Words weigh a thousand pounds. I haven't thought this through as completely as I as I will, but think about how important words are. You can incite people to good, or you can incite people to evil. You can encourage people or discourage people. You can bring joy to people. You can make people sad. You can make people feel good about themselves or feel bad about themselves. You can wound or you can heal. Words are very, very, very important. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I, I love this story. We, Brian Lindy, who's one of the owners of uh, Heights Eye Care, is a friend of mine, and uh, we went out to their, to their house for dinner one night, and uh, he and his wife, very nice people. We ate dinner, and after dinner, their mom Two two daughter had two daughters, and at that time they were, I think, four and maybe seven or eight. And so she she said to the girls, well, "I want you to to go to your room now and play, while we visit with Pastor Stan and Ginger." So they went to their room. I don't know how long it was, but uh, a few minutes later they they came back and and I could I could kind of see Mom giving them the evil eye. And the youngest girl, who was about four at the time, she, she, she came over and she stood by me and looked me right in the eye and she says, it's time for you to go home now. <laughs> Her mother was very kind in how she said it, but she had a thing or two to, to say about that. One of the greatest lessons I learned about words was when uh, we had a young woman in our church Nora, she was a peach. She was a high school student at the time. And I, I had been uh, studying in the, in the uh, lobby, excuse me, in the worship center, and somebody knocked on the door. And I ignored it. I wanted to work on my sermon, and I wanted to pray. I ignored it. He knocked again. I got really irritated. Now I'm going to the door like, how do you, who do you think you are disturbing me while I'm praying, being a man of God? And I, the, the door, front doors were glass. So I, I noticed on the street there was a car parked and the guy had his trunk up. He's putting his briefcase in his trunk. So I was mad. And I opened the door and put on my preacher face. And I said, how are you doing? I said, is there some, somebody can help you? And so he told me what he wanted. And I, so I instructed him to go to the house behind the church, which was the administration building. And then I, and then I let the door close, and then I started grumbling. Stupid idiot. You know, when the door's knocked, you're going to keep knocking on it. It's locked can't tell you everything I said. And I went went back inside and, and I was going to pray, but I thought, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. I'll go to the bathroom while I'm up. So I walked down the stairs and about halfway up the stairs where there was a 
turning point in the stairs, Nora, this high school girl, was sitting. Like I said, she was a peach, one in a million. Of course, when I saw her, I thought, I wonder if she heard what I said. Of course she heard what I said. So I got my preacher face on again, and I'm being real nice. Hi, Nora. How are you? So I went down, went to the bathroom on the way back up. I said, is there something I can do for you, something I can help? She said, no, I was just waiting to go in, into the worship center and pray. I said, okay, and I'm, I'm dying a thousand deaths because I know she heard what I said. So I went to the worship center, and I started, as I always did, walking up and down the, the pews praying, and God was just working me over. And here's what he said to me. Because I, you know, I kept telling him how sorry I was. He said, you're not sorry because of what you said. You're sorry because Nora heard you. Ooh. And it was, it was true. Be careful what you say. Your words to your children. Your words to your wife. Your words to your husband. Words, words to people at work. Friends, words matter. And one of the things I learned from Andy Stanley is your words weigh a thousand pounds for good or for bad. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Be careful what you say. Number two thing my mom taught me, you probably all recognize this. No, you get your work done first. If I wanted to do something, you always, no, you get your work done first. Work always had to come before play. So one summer, it was between my, my eighth grade and my freshman year, I was, I was sitting around the house all summer doing nothing. And I'd always had a job. I'd always... Every summer, I'd mow lawns or have a paper route or, you know, do something. So I'd laying around all summer just being lazy. And so my mom started bugging me about it. And I'm saying, Mom, there are labor laws. You know, you can't work when you're as young as I am. She didn't agree with that. And, and then finally... How long that went on, but finally she went in my room and she was putting, putting my clean underwear in my underwear drawer, and she found this paperback book called Trailer Tramp. <laughs> the Trailer Tramp. So three days later, I was out on my uncle's farm, bucking hay bales in the hot weather. You can take care of that. She sent me out to my uncle's farm. Taught me how to work. A counselor said to me one time, because I'd been telling him, he asked about my dad and our life, and so I was telling him about my dad, and I said, well, my dad really taught me how to work hard, and he did. My dad worked six days a week, always, six days a week, and then on Sunday, it was, it was all church on Sunday. Church in the morning, church at night, he'd take a nap in the afternoon, that was, that was the only rest that he got during the week. And uh, my counselor said to me, because I was burned out, 
He said, you, when you're growing up, you never learned the value of fun. And that it was true. I didn't learn the value of fun. I just worked all the time. Well, that's not appropriate either, but too often it's the opposite, isn't it? Do, do get your work done first. Do your work. Get, get a job and, and be faithful at it. Do as good as you can do. It was instilled in me, and I'm, I'm thankful that it was. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. A famous coach named John Wooden, who was a UCLA basketball coach for many years, won 10 national championships. And uh, he, he, was, he was big on this. You, you work hard. You do the best that you can do. Don't worry about what somebody else does. Don't compare yourself with other people. You just do the best you can do. Work at things with all your heart. Number one thing, last thing is, don't set anything on the Bible. Now, people don't carry Bibles much anymore. But I've, I've, always, I've always carried a Bible, and, and uh, I was on the, on the search for the perfect Bible, is what my secretary told me. I, wanted, I knew what I wanted in a Bible, but I couldn't find one that was just right. I finally found the closest thing to it, except for one thing. It doesn't have the red letter edition. But this Bible, you see how it bends like that? It's just so soft and nice. It's got real soft leather. When you pick it up, it just feels good in your hand. And when you open it up, the pages, I, I assume it's probably India paper, real thin pages and they just feel so good in your hands and, and everything about this book when you pick it up it's got gold on the inside of it feels good when you pick it up the pages are just right feels so good when you have it everything, everything about this Bible says this is an important book most books aren't that way this is an important book and of course what we believe is that the Bible is God's word this is God's word it's a special book. It's an important book. And I like to have a nice Bible like this because it communicates that. Well, in our house, this might sound kind of silly to you, but I, st I'm st I still do this. My mom said, you don't put anything on the Bible. So we had a coffee table, and you didn't put a pen on the Bible. You didn't put a paper clip on the Bible. You didn't put a piece of paper on the Bible. You didn't put a coffee cup on the Bible. My brother put an ashtray on the Bible, and he was a dead man. Well, let's just say, don't put anything on the Bible. And still sometimes I'll, I'll put a, a, fi a file on my Bible or a piece of paper on my Bible. I'll pick it up, put it to the side, put my Bible on top, read it. But why is that so important? It's important because this is an important book. And I want to have respect for this book. This is God's word. So I'm thankful my mom said, you don't, you don't have to put anything on the Bible. And she, she enforced that around our house. Blessed is the one who does not walk in, this, walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. 
and meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, <coughs> which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's Psalm 1, 1 to 3. It's good, good verses to memorize. That's why I didn't read that very well, it's because I haven't memorized a different translation. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 10. The law of the Lord, notice these words, is perfect. Refreshing the soul. It's talking about God's word. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Perfect, trustworthy. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant. Giving light to the eyes. So it's perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's radiant. Fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. Respect God's word. Not just the book, but what the book communicates, what it says to us about life. I to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment if you would, please. This morning I've given you ten things. I don't expect you to remember all of them. But there might have been one this morning, or two, that were just zingers to you. Ooh, I needed to hear that from him. Maybe it was about faithfulness. Maybe it was about work. Maybe it was about respect for God's word. Maybe it was about your offering. Maybe it was about faithfulness. But the Holy Spirit kind of zinged you this morning when I talked about These ten things and multitudes of other things are so important because you live by these ten things. Nobody's going to pat you on the back and say, well, great job. These are things that people might not even notice at first. But uh, they're important. They will make a difference in your life. Someone used this phrase, people see the glory, but they don't see the story. They, they see what a life is like, but they don't know what's behind what made that life like it is. That's what these ten things are very, very important for us to follow. So, Lord, thank you for your goodness. I pray for each of us this morning that we would take seriously these principles that come from your word. And, Lord, each of us would say this morning, whatever our relationship with our mama was like, we... We thank you for our mamas. 